0: Hey there, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. I'm Julie Douglas, and this week, Robert Lamb is out getting his dendrites cleaned. So we thought, hey, why not run an encore presentation of one of our favorite episodes, The Wind Beneath My Surgical Wings. It is a nice, juicy topic that delves into the transcendence of our limited biological capabilities with a dream of flight, of course. So enough preamble. Hope that you enjoyed
1: Julie, who has not dreamed of either having wings themselves or just dreams of winged humanoids flying about? I mean, it's the stuff of just ancient myth, the stuff of fantasy, the stuff of religion, the stuff of, of art. It's There's something just irresistible about the idea of a human with the wings of a bird or even the wings of a bat.
0: Yeah, the desire to fly, I think, is pretty universal. Even Dorothy from Oz, right? Mm-hmm. Somewhere over the rainbow, bluebirds fly. Birds fly over the rainbow. Why then? Oh, why can't I? Yeah. Do you want me to sing in the rest? No. No? Okay. okay.
1: But, but yeah, uh, w- one example that always comes to my mind, I mean, there are a lot of iconic ones, obviously, the, the myth of Icarus and Daedalus, is yeah. big, the idea that, you know, that they built these wings and then they fly too close to the sun and then they plummet. It's just a fantastic metaphor for so much in, in human endeavor, human technology, Um humans reaching to achieve things that they were not necessarily biologically gifted with, but via their intelligence are, in a sense, genetically gifted with. I also think back to a book called Goodbye to All That by Mm -hmm. Robert Graves, a British author who famously wrote uh, I, Claudius. Uh, That's probably what he's most known for. But this was his biography, and he was talking about his... um, his service in World War one mm-hmm. there's a bit about um, mountain climbing in that as well because he was one of these just really adventurous dudes he'd go out with his his pals and they would scale these cl- these towering cliffs and there was one point where he's talking about you know clinging to the side of this this rock face uh, you know pretty to someone like me who is not a mountain climber and will never mountain climb terrifying idea just to imagine myself clinging to the side of a mountain face uh, but he was unfazed by it he was an adventurous dude uh, had Bravery and just a natural inclination for this kind of thing, but one time he said they're scaling. They're they're a little tired, clinging to the side, and a bird like sort of float, flies by. But given the altitude and the wind, kind of floats uh-huh. out there to the side, and and he mentions how it was just so unnerving the idea that it was like the bird was was coaxing him into letting go, uh, as if there was another way, as if he could fly. Which which also gets into these weird impulses we sometimes have of. of Almost like self-destructive impulses—the the idea that oh, if I get too close to the edge of a building, I might jump off.
0: I was just about to say because I have that. Yeah. So even if I'm at say like a, a fairly like simple structure like a mall on the second floor, I don't want to go to the edge because I feel as if I'm going to plunge off. So it's kind of interesting that there's this idea of him, you know, clinging to the side yeah. and this bird sort of mocking him uh, to the limits of his own morphology, right? Like, yeah. hey, dude, you're never going to have wings. You might think you're this cool that you can you know, rock climb up here, but you know, let me just buzz around you and remind you of this.
1: Yeah, it's like, in, in a sense, we see the birds flying and we, we envy it and we feel to a certain extent like it's our birthright because vast empty air, vast heights are terrifying because we know that that's a limitation to us. We know that those are... Those are heights that we cannot really ascend to. Yes, we, you know, we we have airplanes at our disposal. We have various uh, methods of flight and gliding and, and skydiving and everything, but they're all kind of cheap imitations of the natural biological gifts of a bird. That's
0: right. We're greedy. We want it for ourselves. It's not enough that we have created flight in the form of jets and planes and uh, you know various other modes of transportation. Uh, so the question, and the question for this podcast, mm-hmm. is. Is it, would it be possible, is it really possible that we could somehow create wings for ourselves? Um, and I'm not talking just like strapping on some wings.
1: Right. Because there are wingsuits, uh, which are phenomenal. There's yeah. actually an article on them on howstuffworks.com that I wrote, uh, how wingsuits work. And it's phenomenal technology. And the people who use them are insane and also highly skilled. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, could we actually have biological wings that are a part of us that are an extension of us?
0: Right. Could we game our bodies and our minds in order to actually have this be a part of our own morphology? And why not, right? Because yeah. we've talked about this. This is this is not uh, so crazy. I mean, it's absolutely out there, but there are so many different ways that we have augmented our reality and our physicality that uh no doubt one day this could be a possibility.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, like you say, there's so many things we do to our bodies anyway. And we went into this, uh, we've gone into this uh, a, a number of times. We talk about post-humanism quite a bit and, and cybernetics. We did an episode called The Werewolf Principle, um, which probably wasn't the best title in the world because it doesn't have anything to do with werewolves. It's about, it has to do with a sci-fi story I was reading at the time. But the idea that we change our, potentially we change our bodies in order to explore space mm-hmm. and to explore other worlds instead of attempting to bring uh, A portion of our atmosphere and our environment with us uh, and and our limitations with us. uh, We instead alter ourselves. And certainly we make a lot of augmentations to ourselves anyway. So many things such as glasses, contacts, uh, various uh, biomedical equipment that is added to the human body. We're making these changes anyway Mm -hmm. for things that are generally thought of as necessary. Um, And then we also make changes that are cosmetic in nature. But what about wings?
0: Well, yeah, and in order to actually really get to the meat of this conversation, we have to bring up Do- Dr. Joseph Rosen. He yes. is a um, Dartmouth plastic surgeon and a reconstructive surgeon. And it's, um, I think it would be pretty mild just to say that he's a futurist. Yeah, and he's a,
1: a definitely a futurist, definitely a post-humanist. And a, he's he's one of these amazing individuals that, uh, and if you look him up, you'll find various articles about his work. Um, But in particular, there was a 2001 um, interview slash profile in Harper's Magazine by Lauren Slater. Highly recommend anyone read who's fascinated by this topic. It was called Dr. Daedalus.
0: It's an excellent article. Actually, the way that it was written reminded me of Mary Rich and the way that she approaches her material.
1: So it is well worth checking out. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned for more.
0: So with Rosen, here's the thing. He is, he's totally steeped in his profession. I mean, he takes on something like 500 patients a year to do uh, mostly reconstructive surgery, but some plastic surgery as well. I mean, this is someone who is an absolute expert in his field. He is, uh, he's steeped in the practicalities of it, but he is also a big thinker.
1: Yeah, he's a plastic surgeon, but but not a mere cosmetic surgeon. And uh, the, the article in question went into sort of around the, uh, the turn of the millennium, where plastic surgery stood mm-hmm. about the idea that it's sort of, sort of in this place where it's often looked down on um, by people outside of the, prof- uh, the the medical profession, and sometimes within the medical profession, may be seen as as a uh, as a lesser medical practice, mm-hmm. which of course is is not not the case when you look at the 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 non cosmetic applications uh, when you're looking at. People who've undergone a uh, serious injury, particularly facial injuries, uh, for instance, and finding ways to correct that and, and bring uh, a certain amount of uh, normalcy back to that person's life. Mm-hmm. When you look at uh, cleft palate and cleft lip uh, reconstruction, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes on in plastic surgery that is not uh, breast jobs. But, uh, but that tends to be sort of the, the easy association that people make. Uh, when you just hear plastic surgeon on TV. Oh, mm-hmm. she went to the plastic surgeon's office. That means she had something superficial and unnecessary done. But plastic surgery is bigger than that.
0: Much bigger. And, uh, you know, he, as you had said that he has he's worked on reconstructing faces, um mm-hmm.
1: wounded warrior, wounded
0: warrior causes. Right. So we're talking about uh, catastrophic poly trauma. So mm-hmm. if you're in uh, if you're a soldier and you have undergone this trauma, what that means is that you have so many various problems going on um, that you can't necessarily. Uh, find a solution to all of those injuries. Mm-hmm. But what Dr. Rosen can do is he can fashion a new nose, um, but he can't restore that soldier's sense of smell. He can at least give some sort of normalcy back to that person. Yeah. So that's a lot of work that he does there. Um, he also is working on healthcare reform. Oh, so cool. This was really interesting. Uh, this is in the form of cyber care. He argues that our hospital system is just, uh, you know, an outgrowth of the Civil War. In other words, it was set up to administer to a huge amount of uh, massive casualties. And he's saying that that's just not the way that the world works today. And he is helping to revamp the national health care system in Vietnam using cell phones and laptops to link clinics, hospitals and rural physicians. So this guy is a renaissance man. And like I said, he's a big thinker, which is extended over to his ideas about uh, what we can do in, in terms of improving not just augmenting, I should say, but really heightening our senses as a human being and augmenting our experiences as a human being.
1: Yeah, he's an amazing thinker, and that he he really he's the cliche. You know, thinks outside the box. He is the he, he's a bit of a rebel. He's he's questioning authority and questioning uh, sort of normal approaches to things all the time. Uh, and you see that with 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 various gifted minds out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not merely that they work really hard and and are just geniuses within the confines of their profession within the confines of their their role in society but they actually think beyond the, the typical uh, constraints.
0: It's true. Like, for instance, uh, he says that a salamander can regenerate an arm in 42 days. So he says somewhere in your own genome that ability still exists. He says, why can't we go ahead and, and find that, figure that out, so that we can regenerate a whole limb for ourselves? And he says we can do it. It's just a matter of, you know, 20 to 50 years to coming up with that. Um, so... You know, he also looks at soldiers again who have had those catastrophic polytraumas. And, mm-hmm. and he says, why can't we use a whole body, uh, prosthesis like, you know, that's made out of an exoskeleton? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, cost is a factor in perception because it's not too, um, it's not too normal to see someone traipsing through a hallway who's, you know, encased in an exoskeleton. But he's got these ideas of how to make it work for humans and how to, as I said, Augment the experiences for people and make it better.
1: Yeah, he wants to make it better. He wants to fix it. You see that both in, in healthcare reform, as you mentioned, but also, in, but more importantly, in the human body. There's a great quote from that article that I think really sums up a lot about Rosen's outlook on not just plastic surgery, but life. He says, you know, I'm really proud of that face. And he's talking about some facial reconstruction that he performed on an individual who lost a lot of it to cancer. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm really proud of that face. I didn't follow any protocol. There's no textbook to tell you how to fashion a face eaten away by cancer. Plastic surgery is the intersection of art and science. It's the intersection of the surgeon's imagination with human flesh. And human flesh is infinitely malleable. People say cosmetic surgery is frivolous—boobs and noses—but it's so much more than that. The body is a conduit for the soul, at least historically speaking. When you change what you look like, you change who you are. So that
0: well, it, it doesn't that kind of speak to a lot of what we've talked about in the podcast in terms of studies uh, having to do with psychology. The whole like you fit, you know, fake it till you make it, or mm-hmm. you know, if you assume a powerful posture, then your body responds uh, physiologically. So. You know, a lot of what he's saying is 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 there's a truth there that yeah. if you can change yourself in that way, then certainly physically and mentally things will follow. Okay, so let's get into some of his really fun posthumanist dreams for the human body.
1: Yeah, because he, again, he's all about making the changes necessary, arguably necessary in some cases, to make us better beings. For instance, uh, cochlear implants. Uh, new rods for the eyes to give a super binocular vision. Um, soldier implants. Like, uh, this is great, a nose flashlight. <laughs> yeah. Because, here, you know, your nose is just there. You, you know, it's important for breathing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, optics, are, t- optic technology grows smaller and smaller. Why not have a light up there? Imagine you sort of, you, you click one nostril mm-hmm. and then a light shines out the other nose and you it's perfect for reading. It's a great idea, really.
0: Now, I can just see eight-year-olds really having fun with that yeah. when they blow their nose.
1: Yeah. yeah, like light flashes, like really bright light every time you sneeze. But it's stuff like that. Like when you say it, like we're even laughing because it's ridiculous. It's so different from what we're used to. But uh, Rosen's the kind of guy that says, no, why are you laughing? Because this is actually really practical.
0: Right, he's saying yeah. in a military sense, why wouldn't you want your soldier outfitted with this, right? Yeah. Because it makes perfect sense. Um cochlear implants of course are already in existence, but what he is suggesting is that you have cochlear implants that enhance your hearing, essentially giving us far superior auditory powers. So yeah. we'd be able to detect things miles away, uh, again becoming superhuman. And uh Because and then-
1: as we've mentioned before, the the senses that we use to perceive the world are in to varying degrees limited. Uh, or extremely limited, even compared to other animals, mm-hmm. um, you know it 's like the mantis shrimp, which uh, sees in all, all this vast array of colors that we can scarcely imagine. We talked about when we were talking about bats how it 's almost impossible for us to really imagine what it 's like to to quote unquote see the world as a bat. Mm-hmm. so instead of being limited by this this world that we 've painted in uh, in just a few different colors, he 's saying why don 't we paint the world in more colors? why don 't we update our our machinery?' So that we can paint a more brilliant world.
0: You know, that's an interesting concept to think about, when especially in the, um, I guess, in the context of how we are bombarded mm-hmm. with stimuli these days. And we've talked about this in, in the multitasking uh, episodes quite a bit. So I wonder if, if doing that, if, if sort of upping your experience of that stimuli would would make sense in this sort of new world where where you're getting thrown things all the time. So if you can, other words, if you can kind of tune in a little bit more, if things are a little bit louder, if things are a little bit brighter, does that make sense for the modern human mind? Yeah. Uh, Sort of opening ended question there. But, uh, wanted to point out that Rosen is also a a fan of echolocation implants and
1: fins. Fins, yes. Why not? I mean, it, it comes down to a lot of, you know, biomimicry. If you want to see how to swim, look for, look at an animal that has evolved over the the course of millions and millions of years to be an incredible swimmer. That's what you need to do. And we do that to a certain extent. Looking at the shark skin and then adapting that into swimwear. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's talking about taking it even, even further.
0: And of course, his pet project, his pet thought experiment—I guess you could say—surgical yeah. wings. Because yeah. this is really where his engineering brain meets his his, his uh, reconstructive brain.
1: Yeah, and brushes up against the brain of, of mad science mm-hmm. for sure. But it is important to think of it as as a thought experiment. Um, he is not trying to do this or anything that we know of. Uh, but but it is a great thought experiment for just what are you know what are we willing to do? What can we do? And why? Are we, why do we feel weird about going into some of these areas? Like, for instance, so one of the examples he brings up just in plastic surgery, and what I mean he brings it up, he brings it up at conferences, because this this dude uh, has been an amazing figure in plastic surgery. He travels all over the world, speaks at big conferences. He's an influential character. So he's not just his voice out on the fringe. He's a leading figure. Mm-hmm. Um, so he brought up, for instance, if a man walks into the surgeon's office and he has an extra thumb. Um. He's, then he, as a doctor, is allowed to take that thumb off. But uh, but if a person comes in and says, "Hey, I would like an extra thumb," then he can't. He, he can't do that. That's that's just completely crazy. You know, nobody adds extra thumbs to people. Right? But he
0: was saying that he, th- there was one person that who was, I believe, a waiter or server,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and had an extra thumb, and it actually aided that person in their job. Yeah. Like, this is an actual person with a second thumb, and he was saying, "Well, that that was helping that person out." Yeah. So, yeah, why is it beyond the pale to to add extra digits?
1: Yeah, and then there's also the uh, the, the breast uh, example that he brings up. Um, and this was, he brought this up when people were pressing him on the wing issue. Because he'd mentioned it before, and then at a conference, some people were kind of, you know, they were a little freaked out by this. And they're saying, would you really do that? Would you really give somebody wings? Or would you give somebody, you know, lizard skin? Would you really do any of these crazy things? And so he's bringing up various mm-hmm. examples to, to make his... Uh, his point, he pointed out that uh, that there was a, a lady that he'd, he'd come across that uh, was in need of breast reconstruction, and she wanted uh, blue areolas. And I don't
0: really have what, anything to say about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but he said, well, you know, what's wrong with that? Um, and, you know, well, why not? If the person wants to have blue areolas, let them have blue areolas. How is that different from... A lot of the things we do to our bodies. You know, you know, for
0: some reason, of all the things that have been said on, on this podcast, that's the one thing that made me blush. <laughs> Don't ask me why. Um, you know, and it's stuff like this, I think, that makes people sort of look... At him a little sideways. But the fact of the matter, as I said, this is someone who is an absolute expert in his field mm-hmm. and steeped in the technology. He's on the advisory panel for the Navy as well as uh, NASA. His insights on human machine interfaces brought him to the attention of the Department of Defense here in the States. And, uh, they've sought his views on virtual reality, future warfare, and bioterrorism. So people want his brain. They want to know what's yeah. going on. And rumbling around in that brain is blue are- areolas and, uh, you know, nose flashlights and surgical wings.
1: Yeah, because it, again, he's one of these guys that he, he thinks or sees something in the world and it's, it's like it instantly the wheels are turning. Like he doesn't take anything for granted. He thinks about its possible applications, possible ways to improve it. Like, for instance, uh, with rhinoplasty, which often is, you know, typically about correcting, rebuilding the nose, or or making cosmetic adjustments mm-hmm. to the nose. But he's saying that that hasn't even reached its full potential. That we could we could improve upon the nose, and then ultimately, improvements that we make to the human body need not be uh, surgical in nature, but uh, genetic in nature.
0: Okay, so he's talking about gaming the body now through genetics as opposed to plastic surgery. Or yeah, or getting there
1: yeah, eventually. Yeah.
0: Sure. Um, now, <clears throat> again, you have to kind of take his per- perspective on a little bit if this seems odd to you. I mean, again, here's someone who's doing 500 procedures a year. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind that in 2010, Americans spent over $10 billion mm-hmm. on cosmetic surgery. So if you're in this field and you see this over and over again, and you're a futurist, you can not help but sit there and say how can i actually improve upon this process and if this is the way that humanity is going why not make it really incredible why not chase after the idea of flight which is something that humans you know have always secretly or not so secretly wanted for themselves
1: yeah so he's at this conference again people keep pressing him on mm-hmm. this issue and finally he he does answer because he's not the kind of guy that's going to not tell you exactly what he thinks about a topic. He said, when they said, would you perform this surgery on someone if they, they want The blue
0: areola one?
1: Um, no, I think he was talking about wings in this case. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm just still stuck on Hypothetically. That. Uh, and we'll get into the mechanics, possible mechanics of the surgery in a bit. But he said, yes, I would. I can certainly see why we don't devote research money to it. I can see why the NIH would fund work on breast cancer over this, but I don't have a problem with altering the human form. We do it all the time. It's only our Judeo-Christian conservatism that makes us think this is wrong. Who here doesn't try to send their children to the best schools in the hopes of altering them? Who here objects to Palm Pilot, a thing we, we class to our bodies uh, with which we receive rapid electronic signals? Who here doesn't surround themselves with a metal shell and travel at death-defying speeds? We have always altered ourselves for beauty or for power. And so long as we are not causing harm, what makes us think we should stop? And again, that quote is from the excellent article by Lauren Slater, 2001 Harper Magazine, Dr. Daedalus, um highly recommend everyone check that out so we're going to actually close out the uh, this episode right here part one of surgical wings and we're going to continue this in surgical wings part two where we'll really get more into the nitty-gritty of how you could surgically make this uh seemingly impossible thing happen
0: i like this analogy of of surgery and here we are we're going to leave you guys in the middle but we're going to suture you up in the next part so stay tuned for that So, gentle listeners, that was part one. Make sure you listen in on Thursday for part two. If you want to check out more of what we're doing, make sure to go to our YouTube channel, Mind Stuff. Also, you can see our offerings at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. And, hey, a show of hands since we have been talking about this desire to take flight, to be able to do what birds and bats do. Um, how many of you have actually had the dream where you're flying? Uh, do you fall to the ground? Do you glide at street level and wave at people? Or do you soar from way above? Let us know. And you can do that by piping off an email at blowthemindathowstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.